Welcome to the Ion Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. Hey, this is John. As promised last week, here is part two of our discussion about social services and the foster care program. This week, we're going to speak to a pair of foster parents. Well, I do want to say thank you to Casey and Noah who have come to talk to us. We've already learned a little bit about the programs and the systems, but Casey and Noah are actual foster parents. Thank you so much for coming in and talking about your experience. And first of all, I want to say that my mind is a little bit blown because I thought, you know, just a stereotype that a foster parent is uh, – and older, someone like me, maybe with kids that have been flown and grown or kids that are older. I didn't expect to see a young couple. I'm not going to ask your ages because my dad always told me that was impolite to ask a lady her age. But how did you get involved in fostering and how many have you fostered? So um, our plan was always to foster. That was our plan A from the time we started dating. Um, very early on, we both knew we wanted to foster. Um, I had friends who were in the system um, in care when I was growing up and um, several who had been adopted. And that was something that I had always wanted to do. Um, and I was very upfront about that when he and I started dating. And that ended up being something he also had been really interested in doing independently. And so we got married and uh, he's military and we didn't have the ability to start fostering in Florida where we met and married because he was not going to be stationed there long enough. So when we moved to Maryland, we knew he'd have a four-year commitment here. And pretty much as soon as we touched ground, we started the process of getting going. Well, that brings up another question to me. If you are, are you still in the military? I am, yeah. So you are under threat of being reassigned someplace else as well. Yeah, actually, I am uh, actively on orders to Florida, uh, which is my, my new, uh, our, our new billet. But um, right now, what we're doing is I'm living on board the boat that I'm attached to. And uh, the and Casey's still here with our, our one of our teenagers who's still at home so that we can make sure that she gets out and launches successfully. And then Casey and uh, our baby will join me in Florida once, uh, once our oldest kid's uh, Ready okay. to go. Ready to go, yeah. Once she's launched, yeah. Okay, well, you say you've got two teenagers at home, and those, I'm assuming, are foster children. So, or... yeah, so we have one 19-year-old who is under custody and guardianship. Um, so that is, gosh, how long was that? She got that just before she turned 18. So that's been not quite two years, mm -hmm. almost. Um, so she's in custody and guardianship. She has a six-month-old baby girl. So her uh, baby is also with us. Uh, so we have a granddaughter. And we also have an 18-year-old who recently moved out of our home and into an independent living program. She's about 25 minutes from us, and she still comes home on weekends, and we're still close, and we're figuring out how to navigate parenting a kid who's not in our house anymore. Um, and she's doing really well as well. What is the guardianship? You mentioned that. What, what is that? So it's an alternative to adoption. Uh, it gives us next-of-kin rights, essentially. Okay. Um, we're able to help make decisions for her. Um, she she's an adult an now. Yeah, she's an adult types. now. 
well, so that's not an issue. But prior to her turning 18, we, she did have that option where we were able to make medical decisions, educational choices, things along those lines, um, without needing to sever ties to her biological family, which was really important for her. Mm-hmm. And we love that we were able to be that support. Um, it also comes with a subsidy that helps support her to 21. And uh, it's a really great option for especially older kids who are really close to their biological families, their primary families. They don't want adoption, but they do want to have that permanency. So she's not a part, uh, she's no longer in care. It ended up being a really great option for her. Awesome. So were the two teenagers that you have, were they the first times that you guys had fostered? Um, yeah. Yeah. Was our first kid that uh, we fostered. Um, and when did she come in? April of 2021. Okay, so you, mm-hmm. she, she came into your home at, at... She had just turned 17. Yeah, she had just turned 17. And then we had another kiddo who was 13. Yeah. Uh, she was with us for about a week to 10 days. Um, we knew that would be a temporary situation going in while they were figuring out a, a kinship placement for her. Yeah, she was able to reunify with her aunt, which is great. We mm-hmm. love that for her. And yep. the kinship is that that's a family. Yeah, family that's, member. That's, so mm-hmm. she was able to uh, stay with us temporarily while that was getting worked out. And then she moved in with her auntie, and that's going great. And then our 18-year-old, who was 16 at that point, had just turned 16, joined us in May of 21. And uh, she stayed with us until this past October when she joined that independent living program. This is fascinating to me uh, that, you know, you guys are not that much older than your children, uh, mm-hmm. if, if you yeah. will. And do you, do you think, is that, they are your family, they are mm-hmm. your children? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we treat them absolutely like they're our kids, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you so you, you you crack the whip when it needs to be cracked, and, you, and, and you, yeah, um, and, you, and you give out the hugs and the the hugs and the kisses when they need to be given out. Yeah, yeah I think it's a little bit trickier because um, we didn't raise them, and so it's a little bit more of a uh, careful dance because we don't want to step on any previous trauma that they've had. So, frankly, when you have teenagers. They can start to be reasoned with. So a lot of times we don't have to crack the whip. A lot of times the conversation is enough to kind of curb those concerning behaviors. Whereas if you had an eight-year-old, maybe not so much. Well, I imagine you probably also meet in the middle an awful lot because, you know, your background, whatever it may be, is entirely different from their background, just as yours and mine are different. So, I mean, we've got to sit there and have that discussion and meet in the middle and figure out how to solve any kind of problems. So life at home is just like any other any other home. I mean, they they come in, they're expected to do chores and their homework and yeah. take out the trash and, and keep their rooms clean and yeah. get their grades up. And yeah. yeah, we probably give a little bit more flexibility in terms of what they want to do versus and when they want to do it than some other parents did. But again, like we didn't raise them when they were itty bitties, so we didn't have time to establish family standards. But we found really, hey guys, we need these chores done by the end of the day. You figure out when you want to do them, as long as they get done, and then I'm happy. we're going to follow up with you and make sure it gets done. And if it is a problem, we're usually able to kind of figure it out. I mean, you talked about the biological parents. The two children that you've had in your care, I mean, are they, well, the one is going to a relative, has gone to on to a relative? Yeah. And is there a connection to your biological family or is, I mean, does that all differ depending on the child and the circumstances? So um, the kiddo who went on to her family members, I'm not certain how um, connected she is with her primary parents. Um, but I know she is really thriving at her auntie's house. Um, but both of our teens who have stayed with us long term um, both have relationships with family members that are safe. Um, one has a great relationship with 
both parents. Um, one has great relationships with sisters um, who are older than her, aunties and uncles, all of those really great, healthy relationships. We encourage them to have those connections because they're really important. Biological families are really, really important. I've heard that in adoption as well. That Absolutely. You know, they, they, want, they want to have that little bit of a connection there. There and is kind of like the difficulty of determining, like, who can you have a, a healthy relationship with? Who can you have a safe relationship with? What do those boundaries look like? And uh, a lot of that burden falls to us to help them set. Um, because not every um, parent, especially parents whose kids uh, end up foster care, are, are really emotionally literate enough to be able to understand, hey, the boundaries are actually a good thing that help us maintain and build a relationship. Um the stability is is really there, and then they, as as you said, depend. I mean, if you get somebody then it's age seventeen, there may not be the emotional maturity, especially based on the trauma that had preceded it, to be able to figure that out. And I've I've got some friends that had fostered two children. Uh, they're up in an awful snowy place like Michigan or something like that, or Minnesota now, but. And they ultimately went and adopted these two boys. But I know that uh, they both went through just the worst time. I mean, the one child was was okay uh, as far as behavioral, and the other the other one was just really, really a bear, and didn't want to be here, didn't want to be anywhere. Was bad at school, was bad at making friendships with kids, and the whole nine yards. And it's it's ultimately worked out after years and years. And I'm sure there was, you know, lots of love and hugs and kisses and understanding where they came from, as well as probably some therapy. But what types of challenges have you faced with the children that you've seen in your home? Yeah, uh, therapy is a requirement in our in our home. Um, Everybody is uh, in therapy. Yeah, everybody's in therapy. Everybody's under the care of a psychiatrist, making sure that uh, that As their needed. needs are, are being met. Um, and uh, I think the biggest challenge is kind of the challenge that every parent is going to eventually face, which is like the the feeling that you you lack control, that you can't um, that you can't you know you can know what's the best choice for them and you can't make them make it. Um, uh, you can you can uh, know how to help them, but you can't make them actually use the scaffolding that you build for them. I think that therapy has been one of the biggest. Um, successes for us in making sure that some of those behaviors that are very concerning and could very easily lead to being unsafe are curbed or um, are they're given or taught the appropriate ways to handle those big emotions. Because frankly, sometimes they just don't know how to handle those big feelings. And if you don't teach that when they're little, it's a lot harder when they have uh, big adult bodies. And so um, a lot of what we've done is we've got a feelings wheel at home and uh, we use our feelings wheel quite a bit when we're trying to figure out exactly what that big emotion that you have is. And What's the feelings wheel? Is that just something? Oh. This is okay. I we're, we're butting heads right now. And I say, hey, I am feeling angry. I'm feeling... So it's really cool. So it's, it comes in a circle and the in, smallest circle on the inside has regular feelings. I'm sad. I'm angry. Um tired, happy. And then it extends out a little bit more and it's got a broader range of feelings. So I'm disappointed. I'm overtired. I'm Uh, excited. I'm overjoyed. And then it goes out a little bit further into even more uh, feelings. And apparently to be emotionally literate, you need 36. Yeah, at least 36 words. 36 Uh, feeling words. It doesn't have to be like always the same words for everybody, but you need at least 36 feeling words to be able to be emotionally literate according to... Psychiatrist, yeah. Oh, wow. And so our goal is to make sure that 
they actually have the tools to recognize what internally they're feeling and hopefully to be able to express those in a healthier manner. And we've had some pretty good luck with that. We've had some, it's taken a lot, but we regularly have, we call them big feelings talks when somebody is upset or needs to have that. We sit down and we have those big feelings talks. And sometimes those come out in words that I will not repeat here, but sometimes um, we're able to take those and sort of lead them into, hey, that's not an appropriate way to talk to people. Let's try to rephrase that into a way that's healthier. And um, it's actually really funny. Like my 18 year old was the one who struggled with that. And she tried. She was trying and she put in so much work. And after she joined this independent living program, she called me, I guess, about three weeks after and was like, Casey, I have had so many big feelings talks with people and they don't know what they're feeling. They just know they're mad at me. (laughs) And she's like, they need to have the feelings wheel going. And it was like, oh, my goodness, all of that two years worth of time and effort and and work that we've put in really sort of blossomed for her. And she's able to navigate those big feelings with her roommate without alienating her roommates by using certain that's, language. That, that seems like it should be a, like a minister should assign it when somebody gets married. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, just a feelings wheel to figure out. I mean, because it seems like, you know, you get this, okay, I am, you know, pardon my language, but I'm pissed off right now. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times that could be the end of it. And that doesn't do anybody any good. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like with this feelings wheel, you get out like, okay, well, why, why? I mean, somebody had told me one time that if you want to get to the root of something, you ask why four times. Mm-hmm. And... Usually that gets to the root of it. So I imagine by the time you get at the end of the feelings wheel, you really sort of pinpointed what the problem is. The solution sort of becomes evident. Yeah, I think sometimes it helps too. 23 was the year of the tactical retreat. Sometimes I said, you know what, we're going to give this 15 minutes and then we can all reconvene and have that conversation. And uh, having those intentional pauses where everybody stops and takes a breath. And then we all let it out and then we all take another breath and then we all let it out has been really helpful because it gives them another second to help re-regulate those emotions into a place where they can sort of get that logical part of their brain going again instead of just feeling triggered and sort of lashing out. What is your expectation? You've got older children that are... Uh, I don't know whether graduating, moving on, getting into adulthood. Um, and we'll use that as a quote because, I mean, mine are even older than that. And I still use the air quotes with the. <laughs> I still feel like I'm not quite an adult some days, so I get that. It's a, it's a great feeling. Don't ever give up on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our uh, oldest graduated high school mm-hmm. um, with a good GPA. Yeah. Um, she's uh, currently looking into uh, colleges because uh, with the baby around, she wants to make sure that she's uh, getting into a career and uh, modeling a good uh, good future for her uh, but she's not in a uh, program right now she's just working um, which is great yep uh, our 18 uh, year old is a senior in high school and will hopefully be graduating in May she's had an adjustment period being in an independent living program um, going okay. from having a little bit more structure in our home to creating her own structure but is doing well and we're hoping she'll graduate this May and uh, our expectations are that they're going to be healthy, productive members of society, and we treat them like we expect they're going to be healthy and productive members of society. That's awesome. And so far, they've raised the, uh, really come to the... Something my wife says um, that I really like is uh, we try to make sure that we parent out of our best hopes for them and not our worst fears. Um which uh, is definitely a, a step up gener- as far as generational uh, curses go. It's definitely a step up from how my parents raised me. It was uh, definitely out of their worst fears. Um, I think most of our parents did. <laughs> Gener- generational, yeah. for sure. I love that. Yeah. I love that. 
What is your anticipation for moving forward as these as your children move into adulthood? I know that I look to my own children and I mean there's and as we all grow up, I mean we have less time with our parents and you know our lives become lives and we've got jobs and careers and kids and you know everything else and do you feel that you're going to be having time with these children forever or is that really kind of up to them or we're really giving them those choices um we've told them up front we want to be their people forever we want to be their adults um whether that's when they're 18 or whether that's when they're 28 or whether that's when they're 58 um our goal is to die with them knowing that they're deeply loved and cared about and that we are always in their corner. And I'm sure that that'll look different as they grow up and as they launch and as they're quite independent instead of still in that like semi-independent stage that we're in right now. But we still want to be there for them forever. They're ours um, as long as they're willing to be. Right. Well, you guys have your own child and she's been peeping wanting to get on the podcast too. <laughs> uh, she's, she's absolutely yes, beautiful. Yes, you may hear some coos. But do you see yourself fostering again now with a bio child will that is this a, is this a lifetime commitment for you i mean obviously it's it can be part time for a foster parent a short period mm-hmm. of time or it could be a longer commitment but do you see yourselves as the 70 uh, year old woman in the walker you know fostering that that's actually a discussion we've been having pretty often i think we're going to take some time um my husband is in florida And um, we actually, he's been gone since June. He came back when um, I had the baby. And so I was here with our kids um, to make sure they had that stability because they deserve that stability. And so uh, we were doing Life Apart for a couple of months. He's back for paternity leave, but he'll be leaving soon. And so we'll be here through maybe the fall, Um, maybe the summer. We're still figuring all that out. And so we are probably going to take some time when we've gone to Florida because we don't have a long enough period to commit to fostering. Sure. By by the time they two and a half years or like two, potentially two years left on my uh, attachment there. So I wouldn't really like by the time we got through uh, foster parenting classes and everything and got certified, we'd have six months to give to a kid, you know, and we want to make sure that we're that we have the ability to offer them permanency, yeah, offer them stability if um, if that's what they need, um, because that is what we found that both of our kids needed. Yeah. Um, and obviously the goal of fostering is reunification. So we want we want to give that kid the ability to reunify with those parents, and we want to give those parents every single chance we can. And us coming in for six months and then leaving again just feels deeply unfair. Um, we might look into respite if that's a possibility, but with him on a boat for two months out at sea at a time, not a super great way for him to be able to take those classes and us to get licensed. True. So or for, uh, for for you to be able to watch kids on your own. Woof. Yeah. Woof. Uh, it was a team enough. sport. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. God bless single parents. I don't know how they do it. I do props. It's not easy. It's not easy. That's for sure. Yeah. What makes, uh, we know what the qualifications to become a foster parent are. What makes a good one? Um, definitely like a, Paying attention to those uh, in in our county, we call them pride classes. Um, but whatever courses you take to become a foster parent, like uh, really invest in and be an active participant in understanding being a trauma informed parent um, and uh, understanding like that your kids, whatever age they are, are number one people. 
Uh, they, they, they have feelings. They want to talk about them. Number two, they are younger than you think they are. You know, we, we got teenagers that moved into our house, and w- one of them, I would say, was emotionally 12 at best. One of them was emotionally probably 10. <laughs> um, I've been uh, accused of being emotionally 8, so, I mean, that's, yeah, you know, yeah. we're all there. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, it's we're, we all grow up at different ages, but definitely having experienced trauma can sort of give an arrested development to a kid's maturity level, um, emotionally, psychologically, all of those things. And so recognizing that going in, that their body might be 16, 17, but their emotions might not be that age. And so I think going into it helps knowing that. But I'd also say that having a support group, having people that um, are going to support you as a foster parent is really important. Um, We don't have family here because we're military but my best friend lives an hour away. My husband's best friend actually moved with us from Miami to Baltimore. And so we've had a built-in support system through them. I'm also, um, I attend support groups at Foster the Family Baltimore. And it's a monthly support group. And I found really, I'm a better foster parent because I have other people who understand what I'm going through and are able to sort of support me as we're navigating some really hard stuff. That's really helped me. And again, Noah's right. Taking those classes seriously, constantly uh, reading new books, listening to podcasts, doing all sorts of things, um, trying new techniques. It's- it sounds like you've got a lot of tools at your disposal for sure. Was I'm kind of curious with the older children that are coming into your home and you being a young couple, you obviously knew what was coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not so sure that the children that were coming in knew what they were getting into as well. And was that a, you know, an adjustment to sit there and say, okay, my parents are, you know, a handful of, you know, years older than me. How, you know, was that a... There was like a, especially with our oldest kid, uh, the first kid that we had move in, um, she was quick to like um, share trauma with us and, and, to, and to have a little bit of a parent-child relationship with us where she was uh, able to say, you know, hey, I... Um, you know, uh, I've had really hard relationships with my primary family, and um, I, I uh, you know, really want to be able to have a family that is healthy and all of that. Um, but there was also uh, some periods where she was kind of trying to treat, treat, treat us as peers, um, where she's like, oh, well, um, what's, a, what's a good example? Gosh. Well, it sounds like a double-edged sword. It, it is, yeah. yeah. So, like, she, it, it, it is nice being able to relate to some of the stuff that she's going through because it hasn't been that long um, since we were going through it. But it is also a little bit uh, tough because uh, let's – so she's having, like, friends over and whatever, and uh, they're, they're, like, trying to get me to come out and hang out with them. And I'm like, no, 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 you guys are <laughs> teenagers. I'm not right. – We're not buddies. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not friends. Yeah. Um, trust me, you don't want your uh, – the the – dad hanging out with all you kids um so one of our kiddos was raised by um her grandparents and so for her it was an adjustment having um a parent parents who were closer in age to her sister um who's five or six years older so for her she came in going I don't know if I'm supposed to treat you like an older sister. I don't know if I'm supposed right. to treat you like a parent because my mom was my grandma. So that was a little bit of a um We've gone to the extremes there. Yeah, sure. yeah, definitely. Um, so she had to, like, navigate that a little bit. But we 
have never said, hey, you have to call us mom and dad. You have to refer to us as your parents. If you want to call me your auntie, I'm going to say I'm going to say I am her auntie coming to pick her up from school. If you want to refer to me as your parent or if you just want to refer to me as a family friend, I will never out that you're in care. They get to decide that relationship. They get to set those boundaries and we respect it. So one of our kids calls us her guardians or her adults. The other one uh, refers to us as... In the third person, she'll refer to us as mom and dad, but then, mm-hmm. like, if she's talking to us, she'll still call us by, by, our, first yeah, by our first names. Yeah. Um, um, so it's a lot of flexibility in what works for them. That's awesome. Um, and, and frankly, like, we didn't get into it to be mom and dad. You know what I mean? We got into it to help teenagers who need a safe place to land um, be able to launch into adulthood successfully. And I think so far we've done You've that. Done, I think we've hit well. that, we've hit that um, goal. And as they get older, those boundaries might change for them. And we're going to be supportive of that, too. Um, it's kind of what they need to succeed and what we can do as much as we're able to, to make that happen. Like, yeah, the emotional rewards to it. Um, uh, the I mean, I'm thinking specifically of when um, after our oldest had moved in, um, she very much was in a parentified role. Um, so she had sort of taken on a parental role for her siblings and things like that. And um, one of the best days, I think, early on was when she borrowed Noah's longboard and uh, was all up, like, decked out in his helmet and elbow pads and all that jazz and was, like, rolling down our uh, driveway and onto the street, um, which is a safe street. We're on a circle drive, so there were no vehicles. And she was just laughing. And it was it was so great to see her be a kid. She, she was 17, and it was, like, a moment to get to actually watch her be 17, just like every other 17-year-old should be. There's so much that's on the head of some of these kids. And I, I sit on the ICST board at Annapolis High, and you know, you, you look at these children that are going home from school as freshmen in high school, and you know whether dad is absent or mom is absent or they're working or whatever it is, but they come home and they've got you know, maybe one, two, three other little siblings that they've got to worry about. Let's make sure they're not in trouble. Let's make sure that, you know, if we've got a snack to be able to feed them and everything else. And that's a lot to put on a, and I don't use this in the term, in a negative term, but an immature person to be able to do. And that's so wonderful. It's just a a kid being a kid. Yeah. And I don't think that in other situations, maybe they would have gotten that opportunity, but we really we really strive to make sure that they aren't put under excruciating pressure to be anything other than just a teenager because every kid just sometimes needs to be a teenager. So for one of our kids, it was really important that she had an 18th birthday and she wanted silly stuff. Like she was like, maybe I want a pinata. Maybe I want a cookie cake. Maybe I want to do these things. And it was so much fun to get to let her have that just because Yes, she's turning 18. She's technically an adult. She's officially starting adulthood, all of these things. But also, she's still a kid. And we got to really cherish those moments with her where she was just very much a kid that might not have had that opportunity um, in a different environment. But with us, we could give that to her. And it sort of um, set her up to be able to be able to have those feelings in, in, inside. And it's something that she's expressed for her own daughter. Like she wants to be able to make sure that her daughter has these things. Like we talk a lot about being um, cycle breakers and 
a lot of times we regularly say, listen, you get to you get to choose if you want to do this. You get to be a cycle breaker. And so part of what she does is she says, I want my daughter to have better than I had, better than my mom had, better than my grandmother had. She's going to be different. I'm going to make sure that she has that. And I know that it's going to be a lot of work for me because I saw how much Casey and Noah had to make sure that I could do that I could do this. But I'm going to make sure that she doesn't have those things when she struggles growing up. So we're already her, her baby just turned six months and we're already talking about what we're going to do for her first birthday. So it's it's really sweet to be able to get to watch like the investment that we have is already being poured out onto her next generation that's going to never hopefully have that parentified um, sort of experience, never going to have that. She'll always get to be that kiddo. One of my favorite pictures of keep a lot of pictures in my wallet. I, I have one of these things. Um, I have an accordion full file of pictures and uh, one of my favorite pictures of is uh, from like a week after she moved in and she's just posing with our dog and just like looks like a little kid. Um, like she's she's really um, enjoying, you know, being being a kid, being being with the dog and just uh, uh, being able to, to take off some of the burden that came with being uh, bounced around homes and being uh, parentified in her primary home and uh, was able to just kind of uh, focus on enjoying her life. And Yeah, getting to times. have a great senior year, getting to cuddle the dog that shouldn't have been on her bed, but she was like, I'm going to get a dog cuddle. I was like, you know what? That's a problem for another day. Like she got to have those dog snuggles that she just needed and gave him food off the table and all that stuff that maybe she didn't get growing up. She got to to have and it's been really special to get to to be the people who get to let her do that yeah that's fantastic well as we start to wrap up real quickly if somebody just stumbled in the door here at the uh, bush library on west street and said hey i want to be a foster parent what's the best advice you can give to that person don't worry about the people at the social services that are giving them the rules, but what's the, on, on the streets, the boots on the street, what's the best best advice you can give to be a successful foster parent? Because obviously you guys have walked that walk and can talk the talk. Um, I would say for me, one of the top things I would say is be in therapy ahead of time. Um, it's a lot of work parenting kids from hard spaces. Um, it'll make you rethink a lot of things. And so for me, therapy has been really helpful. Having a support group has been really helpful and compromise. Like a lot of people, sometimes I feel like they go in going, it's my way or the highway. And I don't think that that works, especially for kids who are coming from harder places, being able to compromise and finding ways that everybody can work together to succeed has been really a foundation for me personally um, as a foster parent. So that's that's amazing advice because it's perfect advice for any relationship, regardless of you know take the whole foster thing out of this. That's great advice for a marriage. That's great advice for a boyfriend girlfriend or a you know a couple relationship. That's great advice for a boss and an employee, uh, anybody that yeah. you know you you do need to compromise. And the my way or the highway just never really works. Yeah, it doesn't, especially with teenagers. <laughs> um, they, they will pick the highway every time. And so uh, if I take that option out entirely, our days tend to go a little bit more smoothly. Our, uh, uh, teenagers are going to teenager. Um, <laughs> we haven't but, figured a cure for that yet. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, the, like, yes, our kids are, are like, we, we've had some hard times uh, with them, uh, largely, like, stuff that we're dealing with their past trauma or we're dealing with um, them making silly teenager decisions. But... Um, Every kid, whether you get them, whether you foster them at 
three and uh, become their permanent parents or you have a biological kid, every kid's going to become a teenager eventually, hopefully, if you did your job right. Um, and uh, they, they are going to go through hard stuff like that. They are going to be... Uh, interested in experimenting with stuff that you wouldn't want them doing. They're going to make decisions you didn't make and wouldn't make. And uh, being able to uh, meet them where they're at with that and to uh, compromise and guide them out of it in a way that reduces the harm to them and understanding that there's not always harm avoidance. You have to just accept harm reduction has been really successful uh, for us. It's been uh, like one of our most uh, valuable tools, especially even to our own mental health, to be able to say, you know what, this didn't go well. Like I, w I wish this would have happened better for them, but it could have gone so much worse, and we were able to help reduce the harm. I think that they they are better off than they could have been in this situation. And again, it's looking through the potential in them as opposed to the yeah. disappointment they could have been. Right. I think one of the things that also has worked for us as as foster parents when we go into big hard conversations where we know it's gonna it's going to be a hard conversation. It's, it's going to be ugly. Um, yeah, it's not going to go great. And we know that. Like, what we've started doing is having a list of the things that we love about this kid the most. And we start the conversation with, we love you. These are the things that we see in you that are successful and we know can grow to your potential. So we love that you're kind. We love that you're curious. We love that you love your family. We love that you work so hard. And starting off that conversation with grounding it in love and respect and recognition of all the good things makes the next piece where this is the thing that we have to fix. After the butt. It also helps yeah. to frame our minds when we're sitting down to talk about this because we're not sitting down talking about, well, what do we do with this kid who's just such a such a you know like, that's so true as a as a parent you you've got an issue that you've got to deal with you sit down and you're going, dude. What's with smoke in the weed? <laughs> right. Uh, as opposed to, you know, I love you so much, but why do, where, where did we get off track here? Yeah, absolutely. And it frames it a whole different way. Yeah. You guys are amazing parents. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't feel like that most days, yeah, but. Uh, no, no. From somebody looking from the outside, I mean, I, you, you've got your act together as far as doing and, and I admire you for. Uh, being so young to be able to turn around and take on a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old children, air quotes, <laughs> again, uh, and certainly now as you do have your own infant is phenomenal. I mean, uh, we need to be able to build like a pedestal. They're talking about putting like uh, pedestals on the circle out on West Street. We'll put, put we'll put Casey and Noah up there. It's, De uh, definitely not. Um, <laughs> we are really grateful that the department has been so wonderful. Like. Both of our kids' social workers have been incredible. They Any resource that we have said, we need help. This is where we are struggling. I don't know what to do. They have gone above and beyond to make sure that we get those um, services, whether that's a service, whether that's a therapy, whether that's just them taking the kiddo out to lunch and being like, let's talk about this thing that we have concerns about. Uh, maybe we shouldn't keep doing this thing that is harming everyone in your household. Um, yeah, shout out to Bonnie Soderberg and Brittany Harris and uh, Denise Lewis. Have been Denise our, Lewis, yeah. yeah they really uh, have been in our corner. And if we are successful, it's because the department has been right there along with us getting those services that we needed to help our kids be successful. Well, you look back to Mr. Rogers, it always look for the helpers. And mm -hmm. uh, thankful that there are helpers in the world like you two that uh, are willing to take some kids that are in a crappy situation 
and turning it around and uh, putting them on to bigger and better and uh, much more successful things in life. And uh, I thank you so much for your time and your insight. And service sounds service sounds like I'm thanking thanking you for being in the Navy, but I mean, you know, but but thank you for what you're doing for for our society because uh, when you get down to it in Anne Arundel County, I mean, we are all neighbors, and it doesn't matter whether uh, you know we're black, white, poor, rich, you know, live on the water, live in the you know off the water, whatever. It doesn't matter. We are all neighbors, and we got to look out for one another. And you guys are doing doing a great job with it. And, uh, yeah. And I do want to thank your your baby because she's been so great and quiet and, and everything else there. I love that. Fingers are crossed, right? Yeah. She got shots yesterday. I think she's a little bit burned out. Yeah, she's a little tired. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's why I was when I got my COVID shot. It was there like, you okay, go. You put me down for a couple of days. I'll be good. But thank you guys so much. And best of luck in your you know new deployment. You know, certainly with your daughter and uh, you know and and your future. I would love to maybe follow up in a couple of years after you figure out. Uh, what boat you're on or not on, and you know, just see where it goes. Because uh, to me, it seems like you've got this in your heart, and it doesn't seem like uh, it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, we hope not. Yeah, thank you for having us, and thank you to any of your listeners that are considering fostering, especially fostering teenagers. Uh, there's a need out there. They're not bad kids. They just had a bad time. Yeah, it's the best, hardest decision we've ever made, and I can't imagine doing anything any different. We like to say uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but the sun does shine and there are rainbows. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's Local Business Spotlight. Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.